from Refine Labs. This is State of Demand Gen. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. We are broadcasting live. It's been so long. I set up this studio in 2020 with the idea that we would have people that are at the HubSpot inbound conference come over and do live podcasts. And now here we are two years later, the inbound conference is back. We got tons of different live podcasts happening this week. The first of which I'm super excited to to uh, have Daniel Murray on the show. Daniel and I have been close for well years now, right? I think I came on the I think I came on your podcast. I'm not even sure it was called Marketing Millennials back then, but I think I came on the podcast in 2019, maybe 2020. And we've done a couple of them so far, which has been a blast. Uh, what are you uh, What are you most excited about for the HubSpot conference? Meeting people. I think that's what the conference is all about. Is seeing people in person for the first time i i there's a lot of people on twitter on linkedin that i haven't met because of the pandemic so i'm really here just to hear interesting people speak but i think the most underrated thing about conferences is the conversations that happen outside of like the actual talks not the conversation the actual talks in my mm-hmm. opinion so totally. that's what i'm excited about yeah, I think that's like, especially for people like us, given the producing content on the internet, a lot of people like know us. And I think there's a really interesting thing because I used to go to conferences without awareness and a profile. And it's actually very, it's much more challenging to engage in conversations and have those outside conversations. Now it's a little bit easier because you use digital to set up sort of like real life. And inter- that's how we know each other. We use digital to set up real life interactions. I mean, also, I'm a correspondent, so I'm going to be like tweeting live at there. So if I didn't go on LinkedIn or Twitter, I would never have got like an opportunity to come here. HubSpot's giving me a ticket to come here. So super excited for it. Hell yeah. And I think one of the core things, I think we're going to title this episode a LinkedIn deep dive. We got two people on here. Daniel has been absolutely crushing it, has a little bit of a different strategy than me has been getting the company page to work really well. So I'm interested in talking about that because like we've been working real real hard on that, but don't see a ton of company profiles being able to do that. And just going way more into how the dynamics of LinkedIn are changing. So I've been spending a lot of time talking about the things that I'm seeing, but it'd be really interesting to talk through live on what is actually going on on the platform and then how could people adjust to that in real time and how should they think about LinkedIn inside of their strategy, sort of give you some thinking and ideas. So like we prioritize our programs, or at least I do in my head. And like, there's been a time recently where it's like, okay, like YouTube that we thought was number three is now number six, and we're going to move TikTok up. And so you go through this little prioritization exercise in your head. And it'll be interesting to figure out where LinkedIn falls nowadays, right? So I think for a lot of people, LinkedIn, if you think about the available social platforms on the internet, in B2B, LinkedIn is like number one, like gotta be number one. Um, and it'll be interesting to be to talk through it and see whether we arrive there as well. So uh, maybe at a high level, just talk us through what you've what you've been doing on LinkedIn and how you think it is right now. I think at a company page level, it's a great place to be. At a personal level, it's a little harder when you're bigger. I think when you're smaller and growing on LinkedIn, it's a great place to start because I think one, you can what I would have done before if I knew about this is curate who. I actually is my connections. I think at the first, when you start growing a connection equals a follower, and then you get lost in the connection game and then your whole fee gets terrible. On the company page level though, I think a lot of people, companies still do this treated like a ticker or a place to just show company updates or what the company's doing. I think there's a strategy to be the the place for marketers to go or the place for this audience salespeople to go or the place to be for somewhere to go i think company pages linkedin is late to the game of this but if you go back and look at instagram if you look look at go back and look at uh twitter the company pages that treat their pages like a place for somewhere to for their audience to be and not treated as a company page are winning so I kind of think of it as like these meme pages that are that have been big on Instagram for a while. I treat my company page like that. Obviously, it's a different model for me because I have a different strategy on there. But I think a lot of companies could create a not think of it as a company page, but think of it as a a media asset for 
creating great content for their audience instead of creating great content to show off what their employees are doing, what webinars they have, what blog posts they have out there, because those don't get reach on LinkedIn anyway. So why not just use it for that? Yeah, totally. Companies continue to use this as a uh, like a PR channel for a better way to like a lack of a better way to say it. Hey, look at what we did with these people or look at what our employees are doing or hey, we just got Susie. She's our new VP of marketing. Here's the things we asked her on onboarding or a bunch of shit that honestly nobody gives a fuck about. And so uh, it's interesting to see. And I also want to let people sort of have some more context on your model, right? Because it is different than how how we approach it, because it's after attention or reach, not necessarily like B2B conversion. And so there is a little bit of a different element here, but there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn because having attention is a precursor to being able to create demand or being able to have people understand your perspective or things like that. It could be an engine for people to become aware of you and then sort of hear you somewhere else. I'd also like to dive in like, how, what are the things that you're doing to get a company page to, do you think it's the content? Like what about it is, uh, is making this happen? Because there aren't many companies or people out there being able to make a page work better than a personal profile, including myself. So going back to the first part of it of like what my strategy for company pages is so to not steer people off the wrong track. I think when I'm trying to create a media asset out of this and a media company out of this, and I think the mark I view social, the goal of social for me as a place to have snackable content to get someone to middle funnel. And what, how I think about middle funnel is a podcast, a newsletter, a virtual event. I try to get attention, enough attention to in enough feeds so I can get someone to the next level and stuff. But I think people can do this as well if you want to play the long game with company pages. I think a lot of people play the short game of of attention to sale. And I think if you play the one to five year game of let me get as many people in the middle funnel, create great content in the middle funnel, and then nurture the middle funnel to get them to sell your product bottom of funnel. I think that is how I think about it because I'm trying to create a big enough audience to eventually, if I wanted to start a product, sell something to, to somebody. So it's kind of the motto of the newer models that are coming out is build an audience for like Mr. Beast. Like let's give a B to C example. Mr. Beast created an audience first, then he created Mr. Beast Burger, then he created Feastables, then he he created products off of what the audience actually want and what mm -hmm. he's actually likes to do instead of being forced on the a market and then finding customers for your product. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to create an audience for it. And what was the second part of it? Uh, I'll just riff off that because I think it's interesting because like we it's not too much different than what I've done at Refine Labs by first focusing on like, how do we get the attention? It leads to customers and monetization, which allows you to develop and build more products, right? It could be innovating on an existing product or developing overall net new products. I think one of the key differences is the potential monetization model or TAM, right? So like, I think in our instance, like, Pretty much any b2b marketer can get value from my content but when, it, when you think about who's actually the real customer the tam actually gets much smaller and the content gets way more specific and focused and up to this point i haven't necessarily spent much time focusing on moving people from the only place i've been moving them is from linkedin to a podcast sort of like secondarily but weirdly enough have been like starting to do invite exclusive invite only events i don't necessarily think about it as middle of funnel but like moving people off into events with uh with a different intent i think is uh is another core pillar i want to talk about um i want to switch gears a little bit and talk about what's happening in linkedin right now so you mentioned one of the things like some challenges that you're seeing with personal profiles would love to hear a little bit more about that uh and then we'll go from there yeah i think i think this is actually a problem more for a, if you have a bigger audience but i do see the problem as Back in the day in LinkedIn, you could post one to five posts in a day. And all if you spread them out within two to three hours, the post would get reach. Now you post one a second post and the second post doesn't do anything. Um, so that's one thing there. The amount of which is kind of counterintuitive to how social should work. Because um, if you yeah, see every Twitter, social, it's a volume game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
you in LinkedIn it's like you have to put out one great post and if your post sucks you you either have to delete it to get reach again or wait till tomorrow wait till tomorrow <laughs> uh, company pages you could post this the same amount of time which is that's why I've been doubling down on the company page instead but I have I know people I've been working with people with smaller followings that they're getting a bunch of reads so I think like they're encouraging smaller creators are getting more and more reach on the platform yeah um which is good but also i think that screws the creators that have been there for a while that's been creating content for mm -hmm. a while you almost get penalized for creating content for a sustained period of time and building an audience on linkedin exactly because i know like some of my f close friends they have like 20 30k followers they get great engagement and they've been moving from twitter to to LinkedIn, there's there there think LinkedIn is the best platform in the world. It is. I think it's still great for company pages. I've been trying to post on my personal page, and I can't seem to get over a hump that I was. A, I'm at the same. My content is getting the same amount of views as I did at 50k followers and 100k followers, which mm -hmm. is kind of weird to me that you gain 50,000 followers and then you don't get any, any benefit. Any benefit. Yeah, and I'm experiencing almost the same thing. I'm at currently 108,000 followers on LinkedIn and the platform like basically de-incentivizes growth at some point where for whatever reason you hit I, I think the threshold is a hundred K like when you cross over a hundred K something weird happens in the in the platform starts deprioritizing I'm not sure but like it's 100% counterintuitive to how any other platform works right as you grow more followers you have more followers they see more content it boosts the reach and then the snowball effect happens which is a snowball effect that in the early creator phase, like I, I rode that, you rode that wave too, right? Like being an early creator on LinkedIn and going from, you have to reach a certain point. I think it's like five or 10,000 followers to start to get the snowball rolling. Then when it's rolling, you just go boom and you roll. Um, but for whatever reason, the plat, the, um, LinkedIn as a platform seems to not like you sort, you sort start to reach a point of plateauing, which is not consistent with my experience on other platforms. I think I do see the one thing that I see is growing in personal pages is slide decks. I've seen someone go from literally 10,000 followers to 150 in like three months just by posting like slides. Um, so LinkedIn definitely is prioritizing that feature right now. On company page level, I know that they text posts and image posts are doing well, but also LinkedIn Live is kind of getting a little spurred back, I think. But I, I do think that it comes from creating good content over a long period of time, because I think if you don't have a sustained audience, on, then your LinkedIn Live will not be great because people, once you, the problem, the negative and positive of growing on social is if you grow really fast, there's a lot of effects to get people in there, but they didn't have a time to know your story. They don't have a time to know your content. So when you try to get them to a newsletter or a podcast, they don't stay long because they just followed you for one post. They haven't followed you for the journey that you've gone. So I kind of liked having a, a, a slower growth phase on LinkedIn because when you grow too fast, there's a lot of drop off. It's the same as TikTok. If you go viral on TikTok and you don't continue your story, those people become unengaged yeah. really fast. Um, so that's the negativity of going viral. Everybody chases virality, which mm -hmm. is But then great. you just get this like peak and then you, it's hard to replicate. And the followers that you gain during that peak are typically going to see themselves out over time. Yeah, it's crazy. Let's, uh, let's follow your lead and go into LinkedIn Lives. So this is a... I've done LinkedIn Lives before. I haven't done them very recently because I just never see them in my feed. And technologically it linkedin makes it pretty difficult to actually do a live on TikTok. i just hit go live and then boof there i am so we've been using zoom and other mediums before that um but we'd love to hear like what uh how recently have you seen this and what are you what are you seeing so i just created my first event and actually at sales impact academy we we do a lot of linkedin lives and i think what's great about linkedin lives is if you create a LinkedIn event, you can invite your target audience to the LinkedIn event. And when the, your target audience gets, when you go live, it starts to notify your whole target audience that you're live on LinkedIn. So I also, they have a feature now on like company pages. I don't know if it's in personal because I haven't 
done that. But on company pages, you can now create a LinkedIn form and it, it just has their email and it gives you all the emails that you, so you can see who attended the event and who registered. So you can download yeah. the list. I don't use it for anything else except looking who, who came to the event and cross-referencing because mm -hmm. I won't send that to my newsletter because they haven't opted in for a newsletter. But yeah. I like just looking, is there a trend of people that are coming to mm -hmm. other events? But I, I think what for LinkedIn Live, what the great part is, is that you can create an event on your company page and you have you could connect with people in your target audience and start inviting them to your event. And but the key is is your event has to be differentiated. It has to have a good guest, it has to have a good it has to have a good All theme. the dynamics of, of a good event. It doesn't matter whether you're doing it on LinkedIn Live or Zoom or anywhere. You got to have the, the foundation of a good event. Exactly. So I think I think and also LinkedIn rewards you for keeping people on there. So if you are a LinkedIn creator, it, it rewards you for keeping people on the platform. But it's crazy because I just did it and I this this doesn't happen to it for a Zoom event. So like I had three, 300, 500 people register for the event and 550 people were consistently on on an event so just think about like the show rate of like event where 25 percent like, if you're lucky yeah even on a zoom event yeah. but like on a linkedin live the show rate is actually better than, than the registration re rate. registration yeah. rate so that's where i think there's an advantage of linkedin lives is like mm -hmm. over zoom it's an open system instead of a closed system exactly yeah. so what i do think there's an advantage of is having broadcasting in two places is having a closed net zoom and then afterwards having a place for people to ask questions on the zoom so you broadcast live for attention on linkedin and then have a, a if you want to ask the the speakers cut off the live and then they have to enter the zoom to get mm. to have personal questions with the um with the the guest or your yeah. so you can have it broadcasting in two places so if people want to go on the zoom they can if people want to go on the mm -hmm. live they can i think that's an interesting model that people aren't doing but i think linkedin live what i think is if you can broadcast as many places you, you should be broadcasting if you have a following on those places yeah I, we do zoom and youtube and TikTok, and probably going to start linkedin next week Exactly. I mean, it's it's a what I think like what you've been doing for a while. It would work so perfectly on LinkedIn. Is if you have a scheduled event that happens every single week, people know to come to your LinkedIn page at that time every single week. And what's cool is like you could set the registration, invite people if you want. Your guests could invite their friends. You could yeah. tell your guests like, hey invite if you can invite 50 of your connections to the event that'd be great for you to invite 50 connections to mm. your event then that you their network comes yeah. to your event too if you have a bigger if you have a panel you could do this too that's why i like to have like a pre-meeting with we do this at sales impact we have a pre-meeting with everybody and says if you can invite 100 or 50 people to the year to the event it'd be great i sam nelson who did an event with us got two thousand people live on his on on his thing just from having a bunch of people invite people to events and then driving his email list to the van driving linkedin posts to the van it just there's a model here that people just aren't capitalizing on because linkedin is rewarding people who do linkedin events yeah yeah i love that so i'm gonna i'm gonna pivot to TikTok in a second but before we get there let's talk through like how where do you stack linkedin up Nowadays, it's still number one for you. Like, and how do you think about that? And I maybe like maybe answer for you, and then let's talk through maybe if it meant something different to like the average like B two B marketer. I think when I you thinking about channels, there's there's two ways to think about it. Is what is the the main source of content production, and what's the main and what are the repurposing channels down there? So I think I think of LinkedIn as a great a great platform to put out content, but it isn't my main source of creating mm -hmm. content. So my two main sources of creating content is a newsletter and, and Twitter. And that's how I, I filter content to LinkedIn. So LinkedIn mm -hmm. is a great distribution channel. I don't think it's a great channel for necessarily being on the platform. I think for Twitter is a great place to be on a pl on the platform because you get one-to-one -one connections and you see who your followings post in your feed so you can interact with them, you can create conversations with them. So Twitter is my main, my main, but 
I am starting to go the TikTok route. Um, mm. So right now, I'm, I would if I would stay great rank it, I would be Twitter, LinkedIn, and now probably TikTok is going to replace it. But I actually think of it as a dip since I have a different model. I actually think of newsletter and podcast as one and two, mm-hmm. and then I think of Twitter. Um, LinkedIn because middle funnel helps me create top of funnel content. So yeah. if I can, if I can create contents there, I can repurpose on all. Yeah, it's like content pillars versus repurpose distribution. So I sort of think of it the same way, like podcasts and live events become the only they're like they're the feeder to all the distribution channels below it. So they sort of have to be number one, even though I'm not sure I've looked at that before, but I think that podcast is definitely number one and live events is just a way to create podcast content. And then from there, I guess right now I'm probably in, I guess LinkedIn is number two and TikTok is number three. So that's, that's my look. So I guess LinkedIn still is at the top and TikTok is sort of brewing so let's go let's go there because i think a lot of i think there's a lot of people that hear me they see the 15 TikTok lives i'm doing we had our record attendance today um so we keep i keep seeing interesting sort of incremental gains on TikTok, which i'm fun to explore but a lot of people like might just have an account they might not even set up an account they might be like that's for kids or whatever so what are you seeing over there and what should what should people be paying attention to i think it's a great place to tell a story about and get personal with the with your audience i think for podcasts especially i've seen podcast people's podcasts boom if you repurpose your podcast on there so having a and i've also heard that if you create it as a don't create it as a a company page account create it as a a creator account and then post it as a creator because you get ding for being a company on linkedin i mean on on tiktok because licensing of video of music and stuff like that you get ding i also see a lot of my friend jt barnett he's big on tiktok and we had this whole conversation actually on the linkedin live about tiktok and he was telling me that if you do the same thing as you've been doing for a while on on linkedin on tiktok you eventually start getting your audience because tiktok needs 30 to 60 to 90 days to learn what your content actually is so it's looking at the words you say looking at the captions that you you you're putting it's looking at your hashtags and then it's creating this and then feeding it i'm starting now on my personal feed starting to get more marketing content than mm-hmm. ever because i'm a marketer and it's because i search marketing hashtags i search so now it's becoming a search with marketing content and so it just starts yeah the the algorithm is the most impressive part of the platform i think i think what what people don't get is that TikTok out of any platform is the first 60 days are not for reach. It's for TikTok to actually learn who you are and what your content's about. And I think a lot of people worry about that I'm getting 100 views or I'm getting two likes, but TikTok needs to know who to distribute your content for because it's an interest-based platform. It's not a it's not a follower. follower-based platform. So it needs interest to get to where you are. I also seeing a lot of success if you like, for example, if you started doing Boston content today, like as a geotag in a conference, and you start producing this content and tagging Boston, people in Boston that are on TikTok will start seeing your content because it's very geotag based. Mm-hmm. So if you start produ- going to a conference and being in the city of a conference and pr- producing TikTok video and saying like Boston marketing, Boston inbound marketing, and then it will start geotagging and TikTok's actually t- testing a new whatever thing on the bottom of the thing called nearby. So now it's going to start even being more who's in your area, what content matters in your area. So if yeah. you can capitalize on where you are, that's going to be a new thing that marketers can capitalize, especially, especially if you, if your product is very one city product yeah you're a local retailer you're a business you um, only work with companies in boston for whatever reason you're a creator and whatever i think there's so many opportunities to geo i've noticed that when i geo tag it actually gets a lot better engagement it's a, an anecdote at best right now but it's something that i'm looking for you mentioned one thing that i think is super interesting that i want to talk through because it's just where it's where most people miss on social which is the idea that 
to most people, it would suck to move from I'm posting on LinkedIn and I know that I'm going to get 150,000 or more views on every video that I post. And then I'm going to stop doing that and I'm going to go over to TikTok and I'm going to post one and I'm going to get 300 views on the video. And the difference there prevents people from innovating. That's why a lot of people that are on Instagram haven't innovated on TikTok, haven't been innovated on LinkedIn. And now they're on Instagram with a, with 800,000 followers on a declining platform and their reach is going down and they don't have another th- place to build because they can't go over there and be humble and be like, I have to start from zero just like everybody else again. And so I think that is something that holds people back broadly on every social platform. Like, I'm not going to be as good as this person. They, you know, they have 20,000 followers and they get all these views and things like that. And the the realization is that who the fuck cares? Like, <laughs> also, the, yeah, I also think I also think that some people more than LinkedIn, what you could do on TikTok is start doing the unfiltered side of conversations where you talk about something that's not marketing for example like you talk about your favorite football team so now your tiktok sees football gets out and then football players who also might be interested in marketing start coming to see your video my friend who does a, a podcast channel what they'll do is he'll put in a random clip that he thought was funny that they were talking about giraffes and like or something in the podcast and people who like giraffes and marketing are now like TikTok knows like if someone likes giraffes and marketing it gets a wider audience it will come it, it will they'll see your videos that could go viral because they talked about a different topic that's not about that that's funny so I think putting unfiltered things now and showing more than just that you're a marketer on the platform Mm -hmm. or showing that you you like going skiing on the weekends or showing you showing the different sides of you as a person is more important than ever in tiktok which in linkedin it kind of dings you for doing something like that but, but like tiktok's a platform where authenticity is actually rewarded showing other sides of you that oh i'm going to dinner with this marketer now at this restaurant and now like you talk about a restaurant you talk mm-hmm. about this you talk now people who know that you like restaurants and this not like you better so now it's more interest now you have to think about interests when you do TikTok other than any platform yeah to, there. to me the two things that are most i'm on TikTok personally because i think there's a big opportunity but i think that other platforms are going to get forced to copy the way that the platform works because it's simply a superior user experience. You People that go on to TikTok and do the same thing with Reels, like measure how much time you spend looking at a TikTok in one session versus when you do Reels. And TikTok simply just gives you more content that you like and keeps you engaged. So I think that there's two core things that I love about the platform. One is the algorithm. I think the algorithm is just simply a better way to give people the stuff that they actually want. I heard someone say, I forget who it was, but basically like in in an Instagram world, like you follow a thousand people and then, and you've built up that, you follow those thousand people over the past 10 years. And so now like people have gone in different directions and things have changed and you got old people in your feed posting shit that has nothing to do with anything that you want. And that's what you get. And then when you move to an interest-based algorithm, it's always optimizing for what do you like now? Um, so I think the algorithm is super cool. Uh, you you noted this. I'm just going to hammer home the point. I love the casual nature of the platform. I feel like in every other platform, you have to sort of like, especially Instagram, like prop yourself up and like only show the best side of yourself or whatever you want to say and like huge filters and all that shit. I think that uh, this casual nature of TikTok creates a much more down to earth, like real relationship. So I think you nailed on a point where people should think about this is any other platform, LinkedIn, Twitter. Facebook, yeah. all, all of them are our follower base. It's it's not interest based. So what that happens is over the years, people you follow, you might not like their content anymore. So you might their their content might get start getting crappy. Their content might and it it starts decreasing your experience in the platform, whether you know it or not. That's why like for me, Instagram, that's why Instagram's starting to show source content because I don't want to see my friend from like 15 years of content. I yeah, want to but see you don't want to unfollow them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's the, the problem. With, but no platform. The problem is Twitter. It's going to be hard for Twitter to do this unless they get AI because Twitter needs to be able to 
learn that people like marketing and stuff. And the only thing when you go on Twitter is you they ask you like five questions. Yeah. Facebook is the one platform that can do this and that hasn't done it. They have so much data on you to give you the content they want, but they they've created a system of just like ads, 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 and that's the main monetization thing. And they don't know how TikTok is the best if you I don't know. I'm watching it. Yeah, yeah. The, they're very native and it's a very it's a it's a very I still skip by most of them, but it's a very uh, integrated experience for sure. Yeah. I mean, also, like as a someone who's doing advertising on and I think this is also another topic that people could talk if you're doing advertising and you some I like marketing as a marketer, I'll start getting marketing specific ads. I'm getting marketing agencies target mm -hmm. me now. I'm getting marketing newsletters targeting me now. I'm getting bunch of marketing because now but the thing is people aren't willing to invest in the platform for 60 days to let the algorithm mm -hmm. learn what your company's about learn what your content's about people are just doing oh i posted 10 videos it's not getting views now i'm getting off the platform yeah. um, not many people are willing to wait 60 to 90 days which is so weird to me because that's how you want just like to going to the gym and do it it's like and it's not like it's in any habit right any habit typically you're going to fall off within three weeks so yeah, it's hard to, it's really hard to build a new habit. Awesome. So we got, we got pretty deep into TikTok. I'm bullish on that. Would love, if you want to take the conversation somewhere, you, you can be in the driver's seat. We can talk about whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested to see, since you said you're following, how are you thinking about the funnel now? Because you, you, we've been talking about like you're less bullish on LinkedIn. So how are you thinking about, and you've also... Didn't you recently like stop doing the the lives? We stopped doing the Zoom the Zoom live. Yeah, we're in the process of uh, rebranding and rearchitecting the event. So I'm happy to talk through all that stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see like how you're you thinking about it now, the content play because it's you don't have the LinkedIn is not your main 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 focus right now, even though it's top three. Yeah, and that event was one of your biggest things now. So how, how are you rethinking about doing all these channels? Yeah, so. A couple of things that were so the the core strategy is still the same like use organic distribution with strong content to own your space right so that's like that's the play that's the thing and then how you actually do that i think is a core difference that we're thinking about we stopped demand like i i decided to stop demand gen live i've been doing that for over two years every tuesday 7 30 p.m on a tuesday we started the first week of covid 7 30 p.m on tuesday nights felt like a good idea when it was covid but now like it's different and people have kids and so like we got varied attendance and i knew that if i moved the event from tuesday at 7 30 to thursday at noon then we would get 5x more people that came live and then tuesday at 7 30 p.m eastern for me is like heav heavily inconvenient at this point right so there was like a time slot issue that was actually a big driver for it the second thing is that we're rethinking the event and the experience. And so the name Demand Gen Live, we're like way more than Demand Gen at this point. So we sort of, and I'm gonna rebrand the podcast. So we're sort of like rethinking about how we're positioning. So that's one thing about it. Moving from a, a Q&A show that is tip, like it's backed by data, but viewed as opinionated, right? So like it's me talking, me talking head, moving into something that's a lot more educational and data backed and data driven is something that we're working on and thinking about. So you're going to see a lot more slides and data and like more of an academic nature in the future event, which should be coming up. We actually, we're starting to do them invite only, which has been really interesting. So instead of having a broad, like, Hey, anyone come to this Zoom? We've actually gotten better attendance by making it invite only and suddenly sending it to a select list and inviting them there. So that's sort of like what we're thinking on the event. And then that one event was just a pillar of our podcast, right? So I continue to do four events per week, podcasts, live events, guests, speak at companies, all those types of things. So the, the podcast didn't take a hit. It was just the we're changing up the event. And then when we think about like LinkedIn and stuff like that, it's sort of the same. Like we have to have a top level event that people want and then to move it down into like core content distribution. But it's just thinking about how like what is the priority and how that we're do how we're doing it. To me, like I think that we sort of had this core play on LinkedIn of like, hey, you know, video post, long text copy, wash, rinse, repeat for a long time. And it fucking crushed I don't know. it really it, it really worked and like uh, at this point we're getting stunted by the algorithm more than anything in in my opinion and so trying to think about if there's a content switch up if there's a different way to sort of vote, uh, do this is images slide decks you mentioned 
I'm sort of trying to re reimagine the execution on that channel. I mean, I think you mentioned one more thing that I forgot. I probably forgot too, yeah, but yeah. I'm I'm just trying to think how you read. But I I actually think you've made a good point that about the educational play. I think there's when I'm when you're thinking about media, and I think like every company is a media company, and there's like pillars of media. I think there's how I think about media is top of funnel channel are your attention. So that's social. Those are your attention to get people in the middle, the middle of funnel and middle of funnel are these uh, virtual events. They, these, um, more long, just essentially long form. Yeah. So yeah. they, it's, it's snackable content to long form content, but the end of the day for B2B people want to get content and be able to execute on it fast. And I think like right now there's a lot of, what I think about is how could you rethink education as a better way to get educated? Because I think marketers, there is a problem that marketers didn't learn and most marketers didn't learn in college. So how could you create a better experience for marketers to learn outside of in the real world that they can take your content executed? And I think the way you said it of taking content to do data back things so that if someone actually edit, can now do actionable things but now it's like a live class that people are attending that they don't know it's a class but it's just rethinking education and i think there's a need for that out there like people just don't get that there's a need for education in the market yeah and it's about being able to adapt to what the what the market needs right so we did that event for a long time it was heavily useful i loved doing it and i loved every minute of it but then you get a sense of like, okay, like the market needs something different. There's a gap or an opportunity here. Let's go and capitalize on that. And the one to me is that there's just so much bad advice out there. And the the amount of anecdotes and stuff that's out of context and stuff like that, that gets taken from like a LinkedIn post or something that you hear in a community or something like that, that has no relevance to your own situation, I think is something that not enough people think about people always think about what's the cost of like if i did something and what would be the roi of it but they rarely think about what's the negative roi of all the information i take that i do stuff on that doesn't work for me and so just trying to be yeah it comes down to education i also think you you made also a great point there i think a lot of people don't think there's two things of putting out content there's there's positive signaling to the market and there's negative signaling to the market and a lot of people think about the pot like content as just like signaling. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think there's negative and positive. And I think negative signaling is what a lot of marketers do and they don't realize they do it. And what, what do I mean by regular cities is, is if you put out bad content for long enough, if you spam emails for long enough, mm -hmm. at some point you're getting diminishing returns on your, your, your negative content. ROI. Yeah. yeah negative yeah, ROI. Yeah. Same thing with cold calling and same, same thing with anything that you do. That's not buyer centric. Yeah. So I, what I, what I think a lot is like every single, if you don't provide value in every single content, sometimes it's better not to put something out than put it out in the market. And a lot of people don't think about that. And I think a lot of people think like, say, and that's even for your brand right now, say you put out something really crappy right now, it, it, it might do you worse in the market than you putting out something, not putting out anything mm -hmm. in the market. So I think like a lot of people don't think about that if you put out like five bad posts around you, people see you slacking, it, it's actually bad in the market for, yeah, for it you. It also signals the algorithm that, hey, this person's posted five times, you haven't engaged, let's stop showing them. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of people just don't get that there's actually negative signaling in the market. And I think most people do it on emailing. I think like, yeah. I think, and that's, and I think it all comes down to goals. I think it all comes down to revenue goals and what they, they're doing it, but it's like, I've also been thinking a lot of time, it's like, what is the LTV of your audience versus the LTV of your customers? Because I mm -hmm. think there's an LTV of audience and, mm -hmm. and a lot of like, there's a like, you can lower your LTV of audience, even though they haven't even been in your like funnel yeah. yet. And a lot of people don't think of LTV of audience because they haven't gotten their funnel yet. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking Super about this a lot, a lot lately. I don't know how to like, I haven't thought about how to like do it yet, yeah. but I've been thinking of like, if you get, if you have an audience of a hundred thousand people and they're not on your product yet, but there is an LTV of that audience. Mm -hmm. like, but a lot of people, what they're doing is like, 
they're reducing the LTV by negative signaling yeah. to like people who aren't customers. Yeah, yeah. You, you do the whatever the negative signals are, and then your audience goes from a hundred thousand to ninety-eight thousand. Exactly. So yeah, your 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 LTV of your your actual audience starts going in order down. to get two sales. Exactly. Yeah. So your LTV might be going up a little bit here, but tangibly, yeah. Yeah, but like th there's the long-term lifetime value exactly. going down. So yeah. like nobody people think of like LTV of audience versus LTV of customers. They just think use LTV as a metric for customers, but there is LTV of audience. And that's where, why marketing, great marketers play like in five years to 10 years spans, not like, and you're lucky to be able to do this because you own a company and you've been talking about this for a while, but that's why, that's why I think this like 18 month span of CMOs screws companies because they don't have time to think about five years down the road and then that's where that negative behavior comes and that's where negative LTV yep. of audience comes because of this short-term thinking yeah that's crazy yeah and if you think about having to go 18 months with the cmo and then like for whatever reason right because they sucked because you gave them the wrong the wrong goals because they were set up in a place that wasn't ready for success whatever the reason then 18 months and then you literally start over again 18 and then you go 18 months and you start over again or whatever the number is um, and you never get to like, it takes 18 months. It took eight, us 18 months for our podcast to be delivered massively. Like it takes that long to actually get programs to deliver growth trajectory changing results. And so I think that there's a dynamic of that. The the way that, that CMOs are en entering is putting them in a position to fail a lot of the time. And so I've experienced that where like basically a CMO gets hired and then they realize that they have to like 10x pipeline yesterday and they come over and hire my company and then my company set up they don't tell us the goals until two months later so then my company set up to fail and then like what happens is the goals then they fire us and then the executives fire them and it was a complete fucking waste of time in everybody in, in everything because the goals were set up wrong the second thing that i think is a lot more recognized right now is that a lot of CMOs just come in and can't get shit done. Long, especially long tenured CMOs, CMOs that came up before there was a lot of digital stuff going on. And so haven't been a practitioner, have never run an ad before, probably can't build their own Salesforce reports, have not produced content, don't even know what a podcast, like how what a, the dynamics of a podcast are. And you got that situation, which looks like the safe CMO play to most companies. Hey, four times CMO has been a CMO at, you know, since 2008 or whatever. And then you get into a place where they're just honestly, many of them are not equipped to do the things that are necessary to win today. So, yeah, I think I think it's an interesting uh, I don't know if dichotomy is the right word, but an interesting push and pull between a situation that is mission impossible almost versus like you going in there and not being able to perform this is why i also think of like i think companies need to start thinking more like media companies because why i think about that is like when you become a media company you're thinking about owning a narrative for a long point of time like, yeah and a lot of times like people think of just selling product but when your whole like marketing is all about like this the is about the story you're telling the market mm -hmm. of like what you're doing and i think that's where like media comes in of saying like when you own media that means you owning distribution of the messaging in the market and that's what i think this is what's happening a lot now that people are starting to move like hubspot used to like own a lot of the messaging mm -hmm. like like terminus used to own messaging but now like people like you have came up and started owning the messaging that's why i think there's like a a way for like companies to use people inside of companies to start owning, start telling stories and owning the long game. And this mm -hmm. is where you partner with people who actually know what they're talking about to create content for you for a longer period of time and create long-term partnerships with these. Cause then if you create a long-term partnership with people outside of your, your initial brand that are telling stories in the market, you can, own the messaging for a longer period of time in the market because they're the ones who like right now you're owning a lot of the demand gen narrative out there like whether people companies like or not you are owning mm -hmm. a lot of the narrative out there. dg was owning a lot of the brand narrative and b2b for a long period of time mm -hmm. um 
whether people like it or not. And DG was in a company, so Drift got the benefit of it, even though that Drift didn't know that they, they <laughs> might have not known or they didn't know because they were geniuses of doing that. But like right now, like HubSpot can, it owns SEO, which like, okay, that's great. But a lot of people are looking to creators to do that. And yeah. I haven't seen a lot of big companies go and turn to people who are actually executing and have expertise to own the narrative inside of like these platforms and think longer term about media because media before was just for at least b2b yeah, b2c has been running google this ad get a lead yeah, yeah and it's also been like great blog posts and yep. and create average newsletter content and now they know, this, yeah, yeah it's the same way by the way so like if you back in the day the blog that I read was Rand Fishkin's blog and his YouTube video, right? Like it's still being like, whether it's a blog or a YouTube video or a LinkedIn post or a podcast, being the best wins, right? Creating the best content wins. And there's a lot of people that come in and try and do the podcast or the live event or things like that with the wrong intent or the wrong things. And so it's really not that like having the timing right on the tactic is important, but there's so much underneath it that it makes it actually work. And I think the one part is too, what you said about Rand Fishkin is that now more than ever that these social platforms are on the rise and TikToks on the rise, people following people more. And I know this is like advice people, but it actually is what I'm noticing. And you said the best thing is expertise and you kind of doing this with refined lab with all the personal brands that you have out there, but it's just so funny because right now, like, I don't want to go follow HubSpot. Like I just, or I don't. I'm, I don't know. You don't want to answer their shitty polls on LinkedIn. I mean, I, I love. I, I lo I'm not no hate on HubSpot. I love. I, I love, know, HubSpot, I love HubSpot, HubSpot. I love HubSpot too. <laughs> but I don't want to go follow a random SaaS company. HubSpot was a bad example because they're actually doing it better than most SaaS companies out there. But I don't want to go follow a company. I want to go follow the people who are in the company that are doing great things. That like Kieran who is the VP of marketing there who is executing and giving all the advice. I want to go follow Harley Finkelstein at Shopify, who's like the VP there. I want to go follow. And I think that if you can get more and more people in your content sharing ideas of what you do and get them on podcasts or hire people with expertise to start talking, I think a lot of people are just forgetting that they're the narrative has gone to people and mm -hmm. it's always been people just more in b2b the distribution now. wasn't there right so i was actually thinking like five or seven years ago what did you do you paid an analyst firm you tried to get a pr firm to get you to speak at conferences and all the distribution was guarded right so like and now basically social has democratized distribution like you can just go in there and you don't need gartner to approve of you you don't need someone to say yes that you can speak at this conference. You can literally do it all on your own, which I think is super empowering. And I think it's um I think it creates a level of meritocracy that is super interesting. So if you're good and you execute, then you'll win because the the audience determines who's good or not, not Gartner anymore. And so I think there's some there's some really empowering underlying details if you actually look at what's happening. Yeah, and I also think that like if you don't have people in your company that want to create content, just get interview them or get someone in the company to take their voice and distribute their voice out to the market. I think, but I think that what people are doing is they're just copying every single blog post over and over, and it's just getting watered down blog posts, watered down webinars, watered down, and that's why people are going to find people now that are doing great things. And some of those people work at big brands. That's why I think HubSpot's actually doing a great a strategy that I think that people should do for events. They reached out to 50 people who are active on Twitter and we're like live tweeting at the event. So now we're getting about, and they just give us free tickets to come and it's not low cost for them and they get a bunch of attention through people because they understand that people so also it actually gets it a lot of company don't get the it's this investment in it's not it's invested in community where you can get if if chris walker starts talking about the say metadata metadata is going to get more value out of him talking about it. it's investing they in don't think that though <laughs> <laughs> um that that's 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 what happens though like if yeah you, if, most most companies aren't smart enough to realize what's happening
Yeah, it's like it's just like the and some companies are which they i give a hat off to a lot of companies that are ahead of the curve but b2c companies have got this for a year they've invested in influencers they've got they've invested in athletes they've invested in uh, because everything if you look at a b2c marketing it's just it's just fascinating how they do it. and i hats off because it's a hard thing to do because you have to you're selling a commodity which is like way hard it's like yeah. your brand is everything it's like then the you're selling that logo on a a skincare yeah, yeah, you're, yeah you're that's what you're selling like the product is like x amount different it's like who is using the product how do you, did that product make you feel like and that but a lot of the SaaS companies have relied on a lot of times how great their product is or how great their engineers create the product but not how great um like gong gong is like the example that comes to mind of like just like who did great b2b marketing because they, gong product is not superior to most products their marketing is superior to mm -hmm. most products like people want to be wear a gong logo on yeah. their like people want to have gong swag morgan ingram was wearing he's i was hanging out That's with him for a, a week he was hearing gong everywhere he went seriously he like if, if if you're a b2b brand like one of the top goals you should have is that come people that are your target customer want to wear your swag wear your polo or wear your t-shirt or wear your stuff that means you got a strong brand <laughs> it is i mean yeah. it's it, i mean that's what but it, it's so funny because everything comes down to media because the way you monetize in media there's like only a couple ways there's there's advertising there's through product like merch product sales and then merch yeah like <laughs> merch is one of the biggest drivers of sales and media like you look at barstool what they sell is like one of the biggest biggest things is merch sales and that's because they created brand through media yeah and now they could sell merch and if you could if you if you can sell product and merch like you have a a great i mean don't go down the path of a company i won't name a company and drive but they were they were focused too much in selling merch and not creating a great product <laughs> but there's also a a way of if you focusing on brand to create be able to walk around and people will love your brand and there's only a few B i only literally can name like two b2b companies that come to my mind yeah in a, in a day um not many we got uh anything you want to close out on we got to get to dinner no i mean it's been great just chatting <laughs> yeah person. chilling i this is my first get, live podcast so. people in the studio this place is going shout out david miles the studio is looking great we're excited for the uh the footage we got a couple more coming in for a hubspot inbound conference but this was the first one Daniel, thanks for being here and let's go get some steak. Sounds great. Right. Thank you. Peace out. Hey, everyone. Really appreciate you tuning into this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. And I just wanted to take a second to say to all of the listeners out there, we just crossed over 40,000 listeners across the world to this podcast. And so super grateful and super happy that for all of you, really appreciate you tuning in attending the live events, engaging on the LinkedIn content, and now watching us get started up and engaging on YouTube and TikTok. And so thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you. And if you haven't already, if you've gotten value from the podcast, I would really appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcasts in the review section of this podcast and leave a quick review or a rating. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you very much. And we'll see you for the next episode.